Hey, KU basketball fans, this is Kansas City Star sports writer Blair Kirkhoff. Check out the new KUHoops.com to keep up to date on everything Kansas basketball. KUHoops.com has in-depth analysis from the Star's award-winning sports writing team, as well as news on recruiting, game previews, video highlights, and much more. KUHoops.com will keep you updated on Coach Bill Self as he tries to take the Jayhawks to their 13th straight Big 12 regular season title and into the NCAA tournament. Go to KUHoops.com now on your PC or mobile device. Welcome back to the Sports Beat KC Podcast. This is Jesse Newell, KUB reporter for the Kansas City Star. I'm joined once again this week by CJ Moore Bleach Report. CJ, how you doing this week? Jesse, doing well. What's going on, man? Not too much, and uh, just going to talk a little bit about KU basketball. Obviously, that's what you've tuned in the podcast for, but most recently, a victory over Long Beach State, 91-61 at home at Allen Fieldhouse. I know you were able to check it out, CJ, just as I was at Allen Fieldhouse, but uh, some first impressions or overall impressions of this team as now KU has improved to 6-1. and one. Well, I, uh, I'd like to say, you know, just start out with that I was wrong. You were wrong? I was wrong with small ball. How were you wrong with small ball? Because they're doing it more than even I thought they were. <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying, no, 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 you are not wrong with small ball. I was wrong with small ball. That's what, that's what you're trying to get me to say here. Uh, I, I did not anticipate that it would, it would be I, – I, I kind of like backed off a little bit. I was like, okay, you know, I'll give you maybe just like 10 to 15 minutes per game. No, it's more like 30 to 35 minutes per game right now. Would you, would you say that's about right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and a little bit of a different lineup last night because Landon Lucas was sitting out with an oblique injury, so that gave KU one less big man to to put in there. But yeah, as the big man rotation has shortened because of the foul trouble, they've had to go small ball, and they've gone small ball a lot this year. It's been a huge change with KU's offense. And it's not just the foul trouble. I mean, I I think the primary reason you're going to see so much of it and you've already seen so much of it. Yeah, the foul trouble has played a factor. But, you know, we talked about this last week. I think Carlton Bragg's kind of struggles has led Self down that road just because it's his best lineups are his small lineups because of that. So um, let's talk a little bit about small ball. It, I, I read your story this morning about how KU in the past has relied so much on inside scoring and doesn't that's not necessarily a problem that they don't have it this year and I, I agree 100% with you because there are more than one way to get layups and get inside shots and in the past it's been through running good offense and getting post touches now it's through running good offense having good ball movement spreading the floor and attacking off the bounce and it's just as effective as having a low post dominant score let me get some numbers for you, CJ, because uh, I didn't wasn't able to put this into my story last night, but wanted to get in there. You know, we've we talked about this a little bit last week, but the percentage of shots at the rim that KU got last year compared to this year, you would think that it would have gone down because you're thinking, okay, well, KU isn't throwing the ball into the post as much. It's just not it's not doing that as often. But if you actually look at the numbers, uh, KU's getting the ball in tight a lot more. Now again, s- small sample size. The small schedule size. It's, it's not a Big Twelve schedule yet, but last year. 37% of KU shots were at the rim this year. 43% of KU shots have been at the rim. Okay, well, it's smaller guards, so KU's not finishing as well inside. It's it's a lot tougher for guards to make these shots rather than big men. Last year, KU 64% at the rim. This year, KU 68% at the rim. 
So that was kind of the main purpose of the article. I'm glad you agree with me with this, but it is a weird thing. It's kind of almost like KU fans see that there's no front court scoring, scoring and you start to twitch a little bit. You know, like, oh, has mm-hmm. to have front court scoring. This is how Bill Self's offenses run. And I'm here to tell you, this is not how every offense has to run. And we made the comparison uh, off air a couple minutes ago just about Villanova and how Villanova was able to ride that to offensive efficiency and even a national title last year while having basically one big man in there who took every pass that was thrown to him and dunked everything that was close and really didn't need to have a bunch of, of low post scoring moves down inside. And KU so far this year, again... It's early. It hasn't worked against Big 12 opponents yet. But KU's played a, a decent-ish schedule so far. KU's been able to get those same shots at the rim, execute and make those shots more often, and not have the low post scoring it's had in the past. And so I'm here to tell you that this is not something that KU has to have on this year's team to be successful. If the Carlton Bragg and, Braggs and Landon Lucas of the world can simply go in, rebound, set screens, not turn it over, do all those sorts of things, and then dunk any ball that comes their way when they get a pass from Josh Jackson... I think that might might be good enough for KU to have a really, really good offense. And you compare this team to the 2012 team as far as – because Munson was comparing those two because he'd, he'd faced both of them, right? And going back to 2012, you did have a dominant post player in Thomas Robinson and you know another pretty good one in Jeff Withy. And that team makes the national championship game. And, I, and the number you said was 40 – was it 43% of their attempts so far coming at the rim? Is that right? 43%, that's correct. So going back to that team, you would expect probably more shots to the rim because they had Thomas Robinson, right? He was he was all about that rim hate. He was all over the rim. Yes, correct. Correct? Correct. 38-3 that year of shots at the rim. Which is good. I mean, I don't want to talk about how this is a really was, bad percentage. That was a, right at the D1 average. I'd say 38% is, is good. Usually... Uh, it was at the D1 average that year. I think I think it's a little bit lower than that for uh, for shots at the rim, percentage of shots. I think it's around 34%, 35% if, now, I, if I remember now right. The, the 2013 team, also 43%. So, um, you know, that team, even though they didn't have Thomas Robinson, somehow got it in closer more often. And, uh, you know, we, we, we could go into how Jeff Withy is like the most underrated player of the – Bill Self era and how he was awesome that year, but but I I don't want to bore listeners with too much with that, but <laughs> but it, you know you you go through these years I'm I'm just kind of clicking through right now, and it looks like this team is getting to the rim more often than any of the teams that that are available at least in the in the hoop math data, which again only goes back to, to 2012. So you know in, in, impressive how they're able to get it in close without the presence of a dominant inside scorer and I think it's going to be continue to be the case again it's small sample size but I think you are going to teams are going to have struggle to keep these dudes in front of them all season just because not many opponents or not many teams can throw out a trio like Jackson Mason and Graham who are just unbelievable off the bounce you know Graham's probably the least talented of the three at getting into the paint and he put on one of the best moves you'll see last night, that disgusting split of a double team between or, or behind his back, and then the, the floater was, was one of the nastiest moves I've seen all season. Yeah, it was crazy. And I think we almost have to start to throw LeGerald Vick in there too. I mean, this guy, yeah, for sure. he not only is he starting to hit the threes, uh, which started off the year one for 13, and he's been red hot since, but... He's also been one of KU's best finishers at the rim. He's a guy that can get off the dribble and get to the rim and finish there. So you put those four guys on the court together, it's not a surprise right now that Bill Self has gone to that starting lineup because 
you have those four guys spread out on the perimeter and you run your little four game or your weave or whatever you want to do, your high ball screen, it's really tough to defend. How do you do it? I mean, okay, you hedge a little bit. Okay, that guy draws a little bit of attention. He kicks back for a three. He's got three guys he can throw back to that can shoot it. Or, hey, he can drive and maybe he can dish to a guy or score himself. You know, you over, you, you don't help then and, and maybe then you get one-on-one with a defender. Okay, Frank Mason go score for himself. We don't... We don't have to overthink things here in basketball if you're looking at this. I mean, KU is running some some fairly simple sets that just get guys in ball screen situations, and you're able to either score at the rim or get open three-point shots, and that's the most efficient offense. We know that from the NBA. We know that from studies. That's what KU's been able to do. And so, again, I just don't think that KU needs to overthink itself here. Don't think you have to have the low post scoring. Don't think you have to have the guy burying the eight-foot turnaround jumper from the baseline that's been such a commonplace thing for so long. It doesn't have to happen because this team is so tough to defend with the pieces it has. Just like you said, Josh Jackson, Frank Mason, Devontae Graham, and now starting to be Gerald Vick can all drive, pass, and shoot. That's a really tough combination to defend. And I, I was watching Duke last night, and you know this is, this is pretty similar to how Duke plays. It, the last few years and Duke against Michigan State last night was running like the same action over and over and over again and down the stretch kept getting like these wide open threes even though they're they're running the same action like you know what's coming but it's just because it's so hard when you have four guys on the floor that, that can all shoot it and drive it it's so hard to keep up and eventually an open shot is going to present itself. You just can't defend that for 30 seconds. It's, it's, it's really, really difficult when, especially when the ball is moving. And I think as the games have gone on, these guards are getting more and more comfortable playing with each other and and the ball movement just keeps getting better and better. And they're going to keep getting more difficult to, to defend. So as the competition goes up, yeah, it's harder to, pull these things off against stiffer competition, but I, I think they're they're going to be able to. Okay, CJ, I want to ask you about this because you know I am the three-point guy. I must talk about it if if it's even a, a question Free mark. the three! That, free the three! That is, that is all me. <laughs> that is all me. So I asked Bill Self about what he needs from his big men last night. I said, you know, usually you rely on them for low post scoring. What is most important for them this year? And uh, he went ahead and and gave this three-point comment and said, you're not going to win consistently against good teams relying on making three-point shots all the time because there are going to be times when you don't make them. Again, I know me and self are, are whatever the word is, uh, opposed, diametrically opposed in this part of, of basketball and, and how we see things. For me, this threes are what has to happen with this offense because if you don't shoot those threes, then teams can sag in and take away your, your driving lanes, your scoring angles, and they can take away Frank Mason, and they can zone you. Threes are necessary. You have to do that so that, again, it's the yin and the yang of basketball. Uh, you, they, they start packing the lane, you start making threes, and they have to come out and guard you, then you can drive again. One helps the other. In football, passing helps the run game. Run game helps the pass game. It's that sort of thing. So to me, Again, how much do you take him at his word for this? How much do you think that KU might get back into that must-shoot-twos mindset? Or is this just him? Again, I don't really blame him. He's been burned in the NCAA tournament by some bad three-point shooting games. Is this just kind of part of, of what goes into Bill Self's mind because he has had so many disappointments late because his team hasn't been able to shoot threes when they've needed him the most? I think it's a it's a little bit of left services. Maybe he doesn't want to get his teams too reliant on the three-pointer, like settling. I, Bill Self's a type of coach that doesn't want his teams to settle, but I think he sees those a lot of the shots they were taking last night in rhythm, 
off the catch shots as good shots. I don't think he he is opposed to shooting threes. You the way you see his guys playing, it would be hard to 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 say he's putting up a red light because he obviously isn't. I just think he he doesn't want his guys to settle. Shot selection is a huge thing for him and and you know, you you have to you have to give all his teams credit. They're you typically really really smart with shot selection. Look at a guy like Frank Mason who shoots a pretty high percentage from three but doesn't take a lot of them. I believe the reason he shoots a lot a high percentage from three is because he takes really smart threes. And he's always done that. Like Mason's made some questionable decisions and maybe sometimes he overpenetrates, maybe sometimes he he drives into the trees. But as far as shooting threes, he takes good ones and that's why he shoots such a high percentage. So I think that is what he is trying to get to his team to do is is shoot good threes not not just settle for threes so and you know last night that first half pretty much all of those threes were were good threes so I I don't think he he's disappointed in that that's just him trying to get through his team okay don't get you know thinking don't get the mindset that okay we can just rely on the three-point shot you can take threes, but make sure they're good ones. I, I understand your point, and I get exactly what you're saying. I think the only problem for me is that I'm with you. Those three-point shots last night, I can't remember really a bad three. Maybe Josh Jackson had one, but those mm-hmm. were all coming off of penetration and pitch, and guys were wide open. I mean, that's the threes. If Long Beach State, Devonta Graham told me after the game, he said he heard the Long Beach State guys yell out, pack it in, pack it in, during KU's offensive possessions. I mean, if teams are going to yell that during – during your possessions, you know what they're trying to do. You got to make some threes. I mean, it's the same thing. If 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 a team in football is going to put ten guys in the box against you to stop the run, you're going to have to throw a bomb every once in a while. And so, again, I don't I don't see any problems with the threes that KU took. Especially again, the players that were taking them, Speed was taking them, Legero was taking them. Uh, you know, Frank was taking them. Those guys are the best three point shooters. All of them really can shoot. But I think it, it's a little bit of a danger to have a successful game. I mean, they were one point five points per possession in the first half, CJ. I mean, that is, for those who don't, fo- those who don't follow the numbers, that is an unreal amount. I mean, they were playing about as efficient offensively as you can. Those were all good shots. It's just a little bit you know, off-putting to me when, when you, you have that happen, and then there's still kind of this warning after the game, like, I eh, can't really shoot that many threes. Well, you know what? Sometimes that's what the defense dictates, and KU shooters are good enough to make the number of threes that they made last night. And they won't every single game, but they're good enough to make enough to make it an efficient offensive play. And and one reason I thought uh, early on when when KU wasn't shooting well, uh, I, I think we talked about it, Jesse. It was going to get better because the, the three point shots that these that this offense can create, that these guards can create, are some of the easiest shots in basketball. Drive and kick when 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 you're shooting a three. If you have a straight on pass where you don't have to turn your shoulders, you're not catching it, you know, a, a three where the ball is being kicked out from the paint to a shooter rather than the ball maybe being swung from the top of the key, that kick out from the paint is is a much easier shot. These are these are really, really good shots, better shots than a mid-range shot that's off the dribble. It's an easier shot when you're just catching not have and you're already squared up and you're shooting and those are a lot of the shots that the KU's guys are getting that's why I thought this team was going to be a pretty good three-point shooting team not just because the guys are, are pretty good shooters you know you got Graham you got Svee I think Vic is is probably somewhere between early on and, and what he was last night I mean I, I think he's a pretty good shooter and he'll, he'll settle into like a 37 percent or so three-point shooter so 
you, you've got good shooters out there. They're going to be a good three-point shooting team, and absolutely, you're right, Jesse. They should not be hesitant to take those shots when they're good three-point shots, when you've run good good, good offense. But, you know, I, I can understand self not wanting them necessarily to come down and transition and the first look they get, even if it's just a semi-good look, taking it just because it's a th- semi-open three. Like, I understand maybe his logic there, but with the, the way they're running offense, they're going to get a lot of these good looks if they're patient, and I, I think they're going to usually shoot a pretty good percentage from there. You, you make a great point, CJ. One of the coaches I like to talk to when I do some of the play breakdown stuff, he always talks to me about when you're shooting baskets in the gym, when somebody's throwing you the ball, hey, they're giving you change, you know, you made your shot and they're throwing it, where are you getting the ball from? They're throwing it from the lane. They're grabbing the ball, mm-hmm. the rebound from the lane, they're throwing it out to you. It's where most players practice their shots. They have their feet set already, and they get the ball from the lane, they shoot it up there. So most players are most comfortable not off the dribble and not you know when the ball's thrown to them from the perimeter. They're most comfortable when the ball's thrown to them from the lane. That's where you get most of your shot practice attempts. So, again, I'm, I'm with you there. These were good attempts. These were all Josh Jackson, Frank Mason, Devontae Graham creating and then pitching out for open looks and – uh, I think it could be more frustrating for this team if you see pump fakes off those threes and then guys trying to make even another play off of that and you end up with a turnover or a bad forced-up two-point shot. Again, that spot-up three-point shot should be good for you efficiency-wise if you just basically trust the process and trust that your guys are going to come out ahead if they make 35 36 37% of their threes moving forward. I don't want this just to be the only the three-point podcast, so <laughs> let's move on. I do want to talk about Carlton Bragg. CJ, what do you think KU is missing from Carlton Bragg? Oh man, uh, what are they missing from Carlton? I mean, I mean, I hammered him pretty hard last, last week. Um, I, I'll, I'll go back to some of the points I made last week. I mean, I think he needs to focus on rebounding. Which last night I believe he did rebound a decent. What did he get? Did he get like six boards in ten minutes or something like that? Yeah, it was a good rebounding night for him. It was a good rebounding night for him. So, so they they need rebounding, but. He, he he did rebound well, but his defense was not good. I, I remember, I think it was in the second half, at one point he's in, he lets a driver go right by him. It ends up in a bucket right at the rim. Of, uh, right away he gets pulled. So I, I don't. I think they need better defense. Just I don't know if it's an. I I think it's somewhat of an effort thing, like that that play there. I you know I think why self pulled him was probably somewhat of an effort thing. So you know they just need maximum effort. Once in, in right now he's only playing, you know, ten, fifteen minutes a game. There's no reason for him not to be busting his butt every time. But I saw some of the quotes, I, I think it was in your story, where he's he's just there's too much thinking going on. There's too much thinking of what's a good shot, what's a bad shot. And when you think you don't play like you can play. So he just kinda needs to to settle in, but um, you know, I, I don't think he's a, a, a guy that brings a lot of toughness. Like Bill Self loves big men who bring toughness. That's just not him. Like he, he just needs to be a guy who hopefully can finish shots at the rim when when they do penetrate and give it to him. I don't think he's a guy you really want to throw it to in the post. Do a little bit of pick and popping with with him. That that can be you know that that should be his bread and butter. Right now, I think so much going is going on in his head about what's a good shot and what's a bad shot that I don't necessarily think he's he's a great shooter right now. And he he needs to get in the gym, like I said last week. What he needs to do to to, to have the best chance in his career is get in the gym and just become a great jump shooter. Just shoot jumper after jumper after jumper. And right now, I think he's a good shooter, but I don't I don't think he's a great shooter. Like I, he's got a nice looking stroke, but 
it's not as trustworthy as a Graham or a or a Svee or something like that. So I, I do think he needs to eventually become a great shooter. But this year, I, I don't know if he's ever going to get back into sales good graces where he plays 25 to 30 minutes a game. It, it, it could happen, but I, I'm just not seeing it at this point. Carlton Bragg is this year's Cliff Alexander. I mean, can we just say it? Can we say that he's dropped to that point in far, as far as doghouse goes? Because I'm about to read you some numbers off of Ken Palm, CJ. Um, I looked at I looked up the SI projections just for fun. Luke Wynn and Dan Hanner do a great job every preseason, mm-hmm. and they project out offensive rating and usage percentage for every player out there, just kind of give a base on what they think. And for Carlton Bragg, who they had as one of the breakout players for this season in college basketball, they had a 113.8 offensive rating and a 22% usage. So for those of you that don't know out there, you know, 113.8 offensive rating is really good. That means, you know, basically 1.14 points per possession on on possessions that he's involved with. And then 22% usage, the average is 20, so he's just slightly above what you would expect for a go-to player in the offense. So far this year, Carlton Bragg, 119 offensive rating, 21% usage. Uh, We talked about his rebound. He's got to become this great rebounder. Gosh, he's just got to hit the glass. He's 60th nationally in offensive rebounding percentage, 303rd nationally in defensive rebounding percentage. Again, Perry Ellis never sniffed these numbers rebounding-wise on either end, and Carlton Bragg is getting criticized for his rebounding. Uh, You mentioned, okay, he needs to figure out what he is offensively. He has the third most two-pointers on the team despite those lack of minutes, has made 58% of his two-pointers, has been one of the only big men who has not turned the ball over every single time he's touched it. Yudoka Azubuki has a 27% turnover percentage. That's awful. Lucas has a 34% turnover percentage. That's awful. Carlton Bragg is at 14%. So I'm going to be honest with you. I think this is a Cliff Alexander situation. Like you said, there are certain things that are non-negotiables for Bill Self. You know, not playing smart, not hustling, not doing some of the, the, the like grabbing the, the, the player yesterday when, when Gerald Dick was on a Yeah, that, that was, that was he, he, I don't think he meant to do that. Okay, well, Bill Self thought he did, or at least was told by the official he did. Carlton told me afterwards that was a, it was an accident. It was not something he did intentionally. And then also, like you said, le- letting a big man drive around you and getting a layup, which gets you checked out of the game. It's the Cliff Alexander theory. I mean, this is exactly what we were talking about with Cliff Alexander over and over again. This guy, across the stat line, does a bunch of things that should help KU win basketball games and is not getting the playing time that you would expect because of that. Now... The biggest problem for Carlton right now is the biggest problem for all KU's big men, which is foul trouble. Uh, 7.2 fouls for 40 minutes. I can go down the line. Udoka is 7.9. Landon Lucas is 8.2. Mitch Lightfoot somehow is 13.3 fouls per 40 minutes. <laughs> I don't understand how, uh, how that's even possible, but you can't play guys that are getting 7 fouls per 40 minutes. You're hurting the defense, and, and they can't stay in with foul trouble. So to me, if Carlton can avoid fouls, I feel like there's a path to him getting more playing time, but... Again, it, it involves getting some of those intangibles that uh, that Bill Self values that maybe aren't as important to winning as might be with some other coaches, I guess I would say. I, I think a 119 offensive rating with 21% usage would play on most teams, but again, KU isn't most teams, so this is kind of an awkward fit for Carlton Bragg trying to figure out what his role is on this team and what he needs to do for this team to get additional playing time. I, I see your point. I think those numbers, I, I don't buy into those numbers as, as much just because one small sample size, he's only playing 40% of minutes. And a lot of the baskets he's getting are generated from the guards. They're just easy buckets. Um, they're, they're offensive rebounds. He has to work for those. 
Yeah, how how many buckets does he have off offensive rebounds? Uh, I believe it's eight. Last time I checked, I can look double check the number though. He's got six putbacks, but you know that also some of that is is created off like you drive, you draw the defense, and you get you get an easy putback. CJ, so, CJ, you just agreed with me that the big men don't need to score in the low post this year. So why is there a problem when Carlton Bragg no, no, doesn't no, score and, in the and low and post? I, I I do agree that he, I I don't think you try to force feed him the ball in the post. And I I, I said that earlier. I, I I just don't necessarily know that you can flash up that 119.3 offensive rating and say well, what's the problem he's not he's he's performing on offense what's the problem you, for one there's no defensive metric that we can throw out there really that that shows that he is a poor defender and, and Jesse you've seen it with your eyes is, oh, yeah. is he defending well no 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 he's no. not but again I'm I'm saying that when we talk about funk here I I, I want to know what we're talking about you know what I'm saying like if, if we're talking about his rebounding being terrible well the numbers don't really reflect that if we're talking about him not knowing his shot selection or being awful offensively, well, that doesn't really get borne out in the numbers either. So what, what are we really talking about with Carlton Bragg in this instance? Now, again, you can, you can say small sample. You can say that he had a great game against Siena and all that sort of thing, which might be true. But I'm just telling you, like, okay, Carlton Bragg's 119 with a 21% usage, and Udoka's 88 offensive rating with a 21% usage, and we can't stop falling over ourselves talking about how great Udoka is. So I guess all I'm saying is let's let's back up a little bit here and not – be so quick to go with the uh, the narrative that just says that he's really struggling. Again, I think he's definitely struggling with his role, but as far as struggling offensively, I mean, we don't take into account turnovers very often. He's very good with that, but how much is he struggling offensively? I don't know. I, I think, I think, like I said before, I think he's doing some of the non-negotiable things with Bill Self that will get your butt on the bench really quickly, and part of that's fouls, part of that's not smart plays, and part of that's letting your man drive right around you. So I don't know the overall thing, if, if he's an overall positive or negative when you count all those things in, but I'm not sure he's as bad as everybody's making him out to be. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's fair. But l- let me ask you this. What do you think is the better lineup performing both ends for KU? A lineup that includes Car- – because cause you can't play you, – can you agree that you can't call, play Carlton Bragg at the five? Um. It depends on the lineup, but it's, you're going to struggle defensively. That's something we talked about all offseason. I mean, you're going to struggle uh, defensively because we just talked about him driving around, other guys driving around him in the post. You know, that's okay. It's gonna, he's going right. to he's going to struggle against a team with a true big man. Okay, what's a better lineup right now, Carlton Bragg at the four or Josh Jackson at the four? Uh, Jackson at the four, pretty clearly. So I, I think you're answering right there why the playing time's not there. Partly, but yeah, partly is because I think the foul trouble too. But no, I, I get your point, and there's there's lineups. Uh, we've kind of been hinting at this all season. I think Carlton Bragg can give Kansas something it doesn't need. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's years in the past where KU might have really needed a guy with a good offensive rating that could score, that could do all these sorts of things. And this team with those three guards and sometimes four guards might not need that same scoring options. It's the reason I wrote that last night, just basically saying they might need those big men to be role players. And Carlton Bragg is trying to figure out, am I supposed to be a role player when I got brought in here to kind of be the next Perry Ellis? And I, I think Carlton Bragg would be seen would have a much better shot already and going forward playing minutes if he was better than Vic and Sfee. And I don't think he's better than Vic, Vic and C right now. I think Vic and Svee, Svee sorry, Svezus, give Kansas a better 
team out there right now when they're on the floor than Bragg's on the floor. And and that's why to me his his path to playing time is 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 kind of a hard one because he he has to play the four. I don't think he can play the five. And th- they have to find time for Vic and Svee. And that that's why his minutes are he's he's gonna have to be the one that kind of sacrifices. Yeah, it's it's a weird fit right now. I mean, I think Carlton yeah. Bragg is just a weird fit with this team and how they found this four guard look and how effective it's been. So uh, something to definitely watch moving forward. Let's move on to another topic. I know we want to talk about because I want to talk about this every single game. I feel like I want to write about it every single game. I have to hold myself back, but. Josh Jackson's really good, CJ. He's a really, really good. He's player. good at basketball. He's yeah. good at basketball, and he's a, a phenomenal passer. What that bounce pass he threw to Sfee, What, what is going on? Like I, I it's it's amazing to me. You know, there were almost there was a few empty spots out of the field pass that northwest corner. It doesn't happen very often, but there was. I I almost can't imagine when you're looking at six dollar tickets on stuff up, deciding <laughs> trying to decide to go to a game, and Josh Jackson is playing in that game. I mean, I think I'm snatching those tickets up because this guy might be the most entertaining player that Self has ever had. What's crazy to me is that Wiggins year, the like Wiggins mania was just insane. I I think back to I, I know I heard like their their holiday clinic, for example, for kids was like record numbers. Um, I think late night that year was pretty nuts. The, the, I don't think you saw a non-conference many empty seats. Like there was just, would, would you agree there was like this Wiggins mania? The very first camp game he had, the campers that were somewhere in the range between six and sixteen years old were chanting Andrew Wiggins before yeah. he even got out on the court. So it, mania would be the right word. It, it, it was because of the pre-college Wiggins hype in a way, but I, I'm here to tell you, Josh Jackson's a more fun show. <laughs> like so far, he's been a better player and a better show at Kansas. Now, my, one of my buddies brought up the point that Josh Jackson's doing this at 19. When Andrew Wiggins was 19, he was winning NBA Rookie of the Year. So maybe not necessarily a fair comp, but at the same time, you're only getting them at, for one year at KU. I don't care what age they were at that one year at KU. So I think Josh Jackson's a better show. And, and to, to go back to that bounce pass he made to Svee last night, what amazed me about it, you know, it was an awesome pass, but what amazes me about his passing not just that he can do it with both hands which is awesome and off the bounce which is awesome but the like speed at with which those passes go like the the one he had to see that bouncer the velocity of that pass was amazing to have that kind of velocity off the bounce was just I was like whoa you know it actually made I I, I got on my phone and tweeted about it at that point and a lot, a lot of times when I'm watching the game I don't necessarily tweet a bunch but I, I had to tweet about that one because that was awesome yeah I think it's crazy to me to watch him and also I think a good sign is he continues to pass even when guys haven't been finishing a lot of his passes either you know Svee dropped one in the corner last night he, yeah. he you know, I was going to talk about that one too there's been a couple guys that have blown layups when he's gotten it to him but he's such an – I mean, that's what's so rare about this. Like, a lot of times you expect one-and-done players to come in and kind of be about themselves and, and want to rack up their own numbers. And I think we saw just glimpses of that early with Josh Jackson, kind of trying to get his own, you know what I mean, kind of trying to do his thing. Uh-huh. But, man, ever since that point, he has been so unselfish. And it's just rare to have this talented of player come in and not only have the vision and ability to pass that he does – but the willingness to pass that he does. And so, again, it's a treat every night to watch him. I, I, I'm i telling you, I, I I, can't throw enough praise for 
what he is entertaining wise and uh, for basketball value wise. Like I compared it last night, I said on Twitter that it felt like Andrew Wiggins. You were watching what was going to be a superstar in single A baseball. It feels mm-hmm. like you're watching with Josh Jackson, a triple-A player who's going to get called up next week. That's what it feels yeah. like. It feels yeah. like this guy's like a week away from being ready for the show. So it's it's so much more fun to watch him because you don't know what he's going to do. He is so much more uh, ready at this point to, to do so many more different things. And then just the vision he has and the ability to pass and the willingness to pass, it's been a pretty amazing uh, combination so far. I was talking to an NBA scout last night, and I brought up to him, I said, I think that I would, if I drafted Josh Jackson, I'd consider trying him at, at point guard. He has that kind of a vision and ability to, to make plays off the bounce, and he's so so quick, I think he could he could guard NBA point guards. I mean, he's a 6'8 guy who I would consider drafting as a point guard in the NBA. I mean, that, that, that just kind of speaks to his ridiculous skill set that he has and he, I will say last night he was a little loose with his balance a couple times and, and I, I thought they all kind of lost focus there in the second half and, and he, he was one of them who had some sloppy plays but yeah and and one one thing I think that and, and t- tell me what you think on this Jesse I, I think that Bill Self sometime unfairly has gotten criticized for the performance of these one and done guys and the criticism is, has been that he hasn't necessarily design things put put these guys in 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 the best situations to to be successful have have you heard that kind of criticism yeah for sure and i don't necessarily think it it was fair because some of the guys he's gotten have been limited in things they do now now you look at what they've done in the nba like look look at kelly Oubre for instance he's he's not really doing anything in the league and and i i actually think he he figured out how to use Ubre pretty well cliff alexander not doing anything in the league i don't even know if he, i don't even think he's on a roster right now or do you know i don't know off the top of my head i've seen some yeah. twitter rumbling so he's at least yeah, floating uh, around somewhere he's he's floating but you know he, he hadn't done anything um xavier henry had a pretty good freshman year at kansas he really hasn't had much of an nba career i don't necessarily think that's on KU or on Bill Self, they didn't develop him. I mean, NBA people are pretty good at developing guys too. Those were guys that got drafted fairly high. Ben, ben Mclemore is another one. The, the, those NBA teams are pretty good at development. You know, the, they they've their limitations have kind of come out in the league. Josh Jackson is a guy that really isn't that limited, and I think Self has done. I asked him last week. You haven't had a guy with that that can can dribble like Josh Jackson, can do some of the things Josh Jackson has done. How how's the evolution kind of been of of figuring out how to use him? And you know, his answer was, well, well it's easy. You, you just play him like a guard, which I agree with somewhat. But I, I do think I think he was selling himself short a little bit. I do think he's he's starting to figure out. You look at the the story you had the other day, Jesse, where where they're scripting their first plays, and and most of those are are scripted plays to Josh Jackson. And the 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 pass we talked about last, or that you talked brought it up, the, the the one that Svee dropped, that was uh, the Spurs hammer play, where a guy dribbles all the way to the baseline and kind of throws the ball from out of bounds, and there's a flare screen set on the opposite side. So so they set a flare screen for for Svee. He floated out to the three-point line, and, and the idea was for Josh Jackson to drive all the way underneath the basket and whip a pass with one hand 
out to Svee, which is exactly what he did. It was on on the money. So he just you know happened to drop it. So they he he is really figuring out ways to utilize Jackson's skill set, and I, I think Self is kind of figuring it out as as he goes, and it it just keeps getting better. It's it's almost like you you are seeing Bill Self put a guy in position to really really succeed. Now, obviously, like Self said, it's easy. You just play him like a bard, but I, I do think you're seeing that. No, it wasn't necessarily on Bill Self with some of these other guys. It was just maybe that they their skill set wasn't what everyone thought it was. And with with Josh Jackson, you're getting to see everything. Yeah, no, I, and I don't want to. Uh, really quickly, I don't want to say that guys are immediately failures at KU because they didn't make the NBA. Because I think we're, we're also talking a little bit about this with Andrew Wiggins and Josh Jackson in comparison. I mean, Andrew Wiggins, again, was younger than Josh Jackson is now. Mm-hmm. Guys are at different levels of their development. So it's a little bit unfair to say, okay, well, this guy was bad at KU and he was bad in the NBA. And, and that's probably one reason for it. Uh, I think for Bill Self, the 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 criticism he's gotten is mostly with big men, freshman big men that haven't been able to learn his system or haven't been able to do the things that he's wanted to get them in there. Because when we talk about Xavier Henry, Kelly Oubre didn't play early, but man, late he played about every available minute. Uh, you know, yeah. some of these guards under Bill Self, had no, I mean, Andrew Wiggins had no problems. Josh Jackson has no problems. I think it's mostly the Sheck Diallo, Cliff Alexanders of the world that have had the issues getting in there. And again, you make a good point at least that those players might not have been as complete as the draft projections might have made you assume going into those seasons but I think you make a great point and and I don't think Bill Self answered your question like you wanted him to and probably didn't answer it maybe as truthfully as he wanted to because if you go back to that one article I did about uh, KU the how they score on their first six plays of every game there was one play against Duke was very interesting KU ran uh, a version I believe it was of its neck play where they Mm -hmm. basically clear one side they get it to the wing and then they throw it into the, the the big man and kind of it's kind of a one-on-one sort of thing where they can get an angle, get an easy bucket. But in this instance, they made Andrew Wiggins the big man, and they made Carlton Bragg the guard to go out and pass it. So made Josh Jackson. I'm sorry, Josh Jackson, <laughs> not Andrew Wiggins. But I mean, but that's just one example of what you're talking about. Like that's yeah. getting creative with Josh Jackson's skill set. You know, Luke Kennard's probably going to be guarding him. You know, Luke Kennard is smaller than him. So you basically switch your big man and your guard, and you get Josh Jackson an opportunity in the post. I mean, that's something you wouldn't have seen from KU in years past. You talked about with the hammer screen. Uh, KU ran that exact same play the previous game with, with Louis, Landon Lucas setting that fade screen to the corner for Svee, and Svee made that three from the corner. Josh Jackson executed. You saw late in the game, you talked about him becoming loose with his handle. Bill Self made Josh Jackson point guard on those last few plays again just to see what it looked like, just to see if he could handle that in late-game situations with the ball in his hands to create. Now, it didn't go well for KU. Maybe that, maybe he will kind of back off of that in the future. But you can see Bill Self, his mind is churning right now. It's like it's going in overdrive thinking, how many ways, how many situations, how many things can I get Josh Jackson to do that he can be comfortable with and make this an efficient offense? And so I definitely agree with you. This is – this. This tool, this Swiss Army knife, has more tools than, than Bill Self has ever had in a player before. So he's still kind of trying to test the limits to see all the different things he can do with Josh Jackson. And again, that's got to be exciting for KU fans and KU staff to know that all these things he's basically picked up and mastered so far, the future could be even more as he gets more comfortable with the offense and, and what he's doing out there. And, and just like I, I talked about, or, or just like I think Andrew Wiggins was a helped K will, will help KU in the future in recruiting just because he's going to be such a a big star in the NBA and you know he'll always be tied to KU same, same with Joel Embiid I, I think that what you're seeing with Josh Jackson is it's it's going to help KU in, in recruiting it's, it's it's funny I think that the thought 
around Kansas and, and Bill Self as a recruiter has changed to where people – and I actually had this conversation a, a couple of weeks ago with, with a scout and an agent where I think the perception used to be, okay, KU is a big man school. Like if you're a talented big man, you should go there. Now the thought has almost shifted to where people think if you're a, a point guard or you're a talented guard off the bounce, like you should go to KU. They they give their guards some freedoms. They, they give them a lot of ball screens. That's that's a place where you can show your skill. Now if you're a talented big, you you, you shouldn't go there because look what happened with Cliff Alexander and look what happened with Check Diallo. No, that's that's not necessarily the case. I, I still think it's a it's a good school for big men. I just think KU has maybe gone after the wrong kind of big men they, they maybe just taken the guy that's at the top of the list where the 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 big men who are talented back to the basket scores and you know who can do some different things like that that's maybe the big men that, that they should be really really targeting targeting and they, they are they are missing that this year i think udoka has a chance to eventually become that but but that, that is one piece you know if you added a let's say we put Oh, I don't know. Cole Aldridge, who who was a decent back to the basket scorer, as, as the center on this team. Can you imagine just how filthy it would be? Yeah. Well, and again, then you're kind of talking about 2008 levels, where every <laughs> position on the floor kind of gives you a different sort of weapon. Yeah. Not for only sure. do, not only do you have the driving and the shooting, but you also have uh, the guys that can create angles. And I think Bill Self, again, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, Bill Self still wants his guys to be able to score with angles. He still wants to use that part of his playbook, and so. When Landon Lucas is healthy and gets in there, I think he's a guy that can can still do that for KU, can still be a smart player who can create space and know when to to hit his defender and, and get that open lane so they can throw it to the corner of the backboard, all those sorts of things. But uh, but right now, I mean, this team, obviously offensively, the best thing it does is drive and score and drive and kick, and that's created a completely different offense than what we've seen in the past from, from KU, just at least more exclusively uh, when they've been playing this four-guard lineup for 30-plus minutes a game, something that neither one of us saw coming into the season. Really quickly, 30 seconds or less, thoughts on Yudoka Azubuki and his free throw shooting? It, it needs to get It's not. I don't know that it's going to get better because I see the stroke and I don't really see much hope there. I, I, I think in the in the offseason, hopefully they address that. But it, it, it could become a problem because he's going to get fouled so much because really the only thing, if, if he catches the ball within three feet, the only really option is is to foul him. And it's a pretty good option at this point, especially if you have depth. And I, I don't, you know, maybe he'll shoot better than 33%, but it's it's going to be tough for him to get much over 50% this year. And it, it is something that's worrisome. And one reason, I'm going to go over my 30 seconds, Jesse, but one reason why, it's one reason why I think Landon Lucas is still an important piece to this team. I think a lot of people probably think, all right, young freshman, he's fun to watch, he dunks everything, like, all right, there's our starting center. I think for this team to, to still reach their ceiling, they need to get a healthy Landon Lucas, and I think Landon Lucas needs to be the guy that's still the starting center on this team just because of some of the little things he can do, how smart he is a defender. Some of the things I wrote about in a, in a piece I wrote about on Bleach Report a couple weeks ago, you can go check that out if you want. But the Landon Lucas down the stretch that KU got last year, if you get that guy on this team, I think that that's how this team's going to reach its ceiling. You went over 30 seconds, but I'll allow it because you did self-promote yourself. That's perfect, CJ. That's good. That's what we want in this podcast. You, you hear me like putting down a link that I've done about once every six minutes. So, yeah, you've got to be picking up the pace here when it comes to uh, promoting yourself on this podcast. 
All right. Well, we'll go check out my Landon Lucas story. It's uh, you know, it talks about what he how, how much value he brought last year and how he could do these same kinds of things this year. But I think he needs to get healthy to make that happen. I hope, I hope he sits for a little while and and, and gets right. Yeah, and also talks about him playing poker, which I'm glad. Honestly, I probably don't play him in poker because I, I think he would be a pretty good foe uh, when it comes to hold him. I, I think he's that kind of guy. Let's get to some of these questions from Twitter. I asked uh, put a call out for Twitter questions on here. Let's get to these quickly before getting out of here. Uh, let's start with at KCPR guy. We go with G Low here. All Big 12 teams in the top 70 of Ken Palm. Tougher road to 13 straight Big 12 titles than previously thought. Uh, I do want to mention, I believe that uh, the preseason rankings for Ken Palm, all the Big 12 teams were in the top 66, so now all of them being in the top 70 isn't that much of a change, but I do think that uh, the composition of the Big 12 and where those teams are ending up has changed. So your thoughts on it maybe being a tougher road for KU this season? I, I don't think much has changed from the preseason other than Baylor is is probably even a little better than I thought, and I, and I picked Baylor number two in, in the Big 12 in the preseason just because their, their big kid is Joe, Joe Akil, I can't say his last name <laughs> he is he is a little better than I anticipated and they've kind of got a ni- nice mix and I actually have a p- more more self-promotion woohoo you ready for this Jesse there you go that's what I'm talking about that's what I, I'm talking about I have a I have a piece coming out of, about Baylor I believe it hits the site tonight it'll be on Bleacher Report tomorrow just talking about how how Baylor is a team that's that's pretty compete complete has 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 the best wins in the country so far. If you look at resumes, nobody's got a better resume than Baylor, and and does have some big men in particular, Jonathan Motley, that that might be able to give KU some problems. I mean, Motley is he's a problem for anybody, but he he could be a problem for KU. So I, I still think KU is a clear cut favorite. But I think Baylor is a little bit better number two than we anticipated. But other than that, it's about what I expected. I, I think you have a lot of good teams who will beat up on each other. But I don't think you have the, – the top tier is not as deep as it was last year where Iowa State and West Virginia and Oklahoma, along with Kansas, were all pretty darn good. All teams that probably would have had you know i thought last year had a chance to reach the final four obviously oklahoma did so i I don't think other than baylor there's a team that's that's kind of close to ku but it's it's still gonna it's a it's a really deep conference who i think is going to beat up on itself yep so i think same as always somebody's got to beat ku at allen Fieldhouse, and if that doesn't happen then ku's not gonna lose the big 12 so uh, we'll see if one of these teams can do it coming up here in from january through the beginning of march let's get to nick schwert our favorite radio guy from 1320 klwn here in lawrence how is this team so good at defending two point shots any theory cj yeah it's the perimeter defense i, I think you have five perimeter defenders who are really really good at keeping the ball in front of them and when you keep the ball in front of you and you don't allow teams to get to the rim it's kind of like what we were talking about with KU so easily being able to beat people off the dribble well when you allow people not to or disallow people from beating you off the dribble it helps your two-point defense so they're forcing people into shooting a lot of tough twos a lot of mid-range jumpers, which Jesse can tell you is the worst shot in basketball. So I, I think that's how it's it's you can get it done without having an elite shot blocker if if you have great perimeter defense. I think that's how they're getting it done. Your theory, Jesse? That's basically my theory. Not only uh, KU 72nd nationally enforcing two-point jump shots, which is 
the worst shot in basketball, as you will hear me repeat over and over again. And as you might expect, teams are not shooting very good uh, percentages on those jumpers. 30.2%. So KU's ranks in the top 65 in that category as well. I also will mention this. It doesn't seem like it. But KU's been a pretty good shot blocking team this year as well. Uh, if I look at their numbers, I believe top 60, if I remember right. I can look up the number real fast here. But, you know, Yudoka Azabuki, you got Josh Jackson. Uh, Landon Lucas, when he's in there, has blocked a few. Yeah, 59th in block percentage. So KU does challenge shots at the rim. And uh, at Allen Fieldhouse, they, they get a lot of those blocks. It seems like didn't have many uh, against Long Beach State last night. But it seems like you look at the block percentage, Josh Jackson's in the top 300. Landon Lucas, uh, again, is good. Dwight Colby has contributed some when he's in there. Even Mitch Lightfoot has contributed some. So uh, they have enough bodies that can block shots that it adds up to they're a pretty decent shot blocking team, make it tough for teams at the rim. And again, uh, if you do that, then teams are forced to shoot floaters and shoot in the mid-range, and that's not the shots that you want to get, especially against a good team like Kansas. And small, small sample size alert there. I mean, it's 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 still really early. But it it is, if, if, based off the numbers so far, it's the best KU shot blocking team since 14 when, when they had Joel Embiid and and uh, T- Tarek Black back there. So, so far, p- pretty good, but sm- small sample size. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, yeah, I would I would think that this might be one of the more stable ones, though. I, w- I would think they could keep that sort of shot blocking. Again, especially with a guy like Josh Jackson tri- contributing a lot of them that you don't really think about. You know, he, he does. I think he's uh, second on the team in blocks, actually. Yep, eight, eight blocks for Josh Jackson and nine for Yudoka. So he gets a lot more blocks than you think, and uh, him providing steady block numbers, you know, about one a game is going to be able to keep those numbers up for KU. Let's get one from Jordan Henderson. Is this Self's best backcourt of all time? I have to give Jordan some crap on this one because last week's episode, if he goes back, is is this Bill Self's back, best backcourt at KU? So we won't talk too much about this. CJ, I'll let you have maybe, again, 20 seconds or so. But mostly I'm going to point Jordan and everybody else out here listening to last week's podcast to listen to our talk about uh, whether this was the best backcourt of all time at KU, at least in Self's 14 seasons. Yeah, go back and listen to that one. That was was, was pretty good, Jordan. I, I mean, we, we, we hit it. And we said <laughs> it. The answer is yes. It hasn't changed. Uh, hasn't changed in a week for you? Nope, nope, still there for me. All right, at Beware Fog, would KU B-Ball have landed Josh Jackson if Selden and Green hadn't left? Your thoughts? Uh, it's hard to play in a world like that, but probably not. <laughs> what do you think, Jesse? No, I'm going to say no on that one. I, again, I, I don't want to go all conspiracy theory on everybody, but don't you think Wayne Selden leaving was kind of a foregone conclusion for a couple months at the end of last year? I think... Yeah. I, I think all this was sort of in motion, wasn't it? I mean, Wayne Selden was yeah. going to leave. He'd been there three years. He wasn't coming back. And uh, Josh Jackson was kind of the natural fit once Wayne Selden made it official. So, I, again, I, I think that it's kind of a, almost a, a question, an unanswerable question, because I don't think that scenario was ever going to play out. But if Selden would have come back, would Josh Jackson be at KU? I don't think so. Uh, at, the same, at the same time, nobody was going to beat Josh Jackson out from a starting spot. So, I mean, you could really just slide Selden into where Vic is starting right now and, can, and everything would be hunky-dory. Like, so. can, can you imagine how much small ball that team would have played if you had Selden in this? I mean, you would have had to play four guards all the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Last one from Michael F. Marshall. Can KU win the Big 12 National Championship playing four guards as the primary lineup? Uh, example, 30-plus minutes per game per guard. Um I guess I'll answer that kind of like I'd answered earlier. Uh, could Villanova do it last year? That's kind of my answer to the question. Uh, I think that it's definitely possible. I think with the offensive efficiency that KU's shown and the ability 
to at least hold its own defensively and hold its own on a defensive glass, I think that that absolutely could happen with KU this year. Thoughts, CJ? Yeah, they, they can. It's so much about mashups, too. And I will say the one thing Nova had, their small ball four is a little thicker and, and more – I mean, look at look at the job that um, man. I'm, I'm spacing. What's what's my what's my boy's name from from Nova? Number two hit the biggest shot of the college basketball season. Why can't I? I was gonna say, I, is, he, my, is he? Is he really? I was say, is he really your boy? If you if you don't know who? Uh, yeah. <laughs> who he is? He's, Chris he's, Jenkins is that? Chris Jenkins. Sorry, sorry, Chris Jenkins. Yeah, only hit one of the biggest shots in NCAA history, and and I'm spacing on your name. Sorry, Chris. I, I apologize. I'm I know sure, you're listening. I'm sure he listens to the podcast, so uh, it's okay. He's he's listening and he he accepts your apology. Chris was a little you know easier for him to guard post guys. Look at what he did to to Perry Ellis. He he deserves a lot of credit for for shutting down Perry last year. He's he you know a little easier for him to defend in the post. So it could be you know it could come down to matchups. You you hope that KU won't face a team that has elite back to the basket four man but really honestly there aren't a lot of those teams out there so yeah i i think they can do it and i i think the the small ball lineup is probably the one that gives them the best shot because that's going to be their best team yeah and we got to remember too uh villanova in the championship played game played unc which was a team that had that sort of matchup you know had the uh had the back to the basket scores that could do that and villanova was able to survive in that game again tiny sample one game anything can happen that sort of thing but uh this is a Strategy, philosophy, whatever you want to call it, that can work and does work in today's college basketball. So it's it's been very fascinating to watch it work for KU as well, and we'll see how that progresses throughout the rest of the season. Anything else you want to uh, pub, CJ? Is there any other stories that are that are coming out for you, or anything else you want to check out at Bleach Report? Uh, no, I, the, the the one that I have coming out tonight will not only talk about Baylor and kind of how Baylor's gone the opposite way. Everybody, most people are going small ball. Baylor's going big and, and their zone allows them to, to do that. So I, I thought that was kind of something interesting I talked about with Scott Drew. Then also in that story, it's a notebook. The second item on there will be about KU and small ball and, and Josh Jackson thriving at the four and a, a couple quotes I got from, from self and Jackson that, that I found kind of interesting. So, you know, KU fans, you can check that out to learn a little bit more about Baylor and, and a little bit of uh, Jayhawk love as well. Sounds good. And from my end, go download the KUHoops.com app. That's all I ask of you. It's totally free. It will not cost you a penny. But so as I put on Facebook, support your local sports journalist and go download <laughs> the free KU Hoops app. We don't ask a lot of you. Just go download Jesse, the Jesse, did you stuff. say it was free? I said it was free. It's it, free, it's, people. It's, it's Do com- it. It's completely, totally free, just like this podcast. You know, we, we work for no money here, or at least it seems that way sometimes. But, yes, go download. I absolutely work for mo- no, no money here. All right, CJ, just because you said that, I am doubling your salary for this podcast. <laughs> there you go. It's on the record. Everyone heard it. <laughs> well, thanks again, everybody, for checking out the Sports Beat KC podcast. Be sure to tune in for another episode next week.